0: Welcome everyone to the last episode of Gang Green and Goudreau right here on Percolated Media. Yep, sorry to say everyone that after four plus months we're closing up shop until next year, which is about 48 hours from now. Well, I felt it appropriate to start off with a bad joke because that's what the last Jets game felt like to me. I have a lot to say in only a truncated format, but before I get to... Everything that's happened between the Thursday night game against Jacksonville, fallout, the landscape of the NFL, and what's going to happen two weeks from now, as if I have a psychic crystal ball in front of me. I hope everyone had a great holiday season, that you got some time with your families, that you were able to refresh yourselves. If you were blessed to have the day off, if not, God bless you for working through it. Here on the site, we're coming to the end of the year. Almost a full calendar year since we launched here. And to celebrate, we released our avatar, The Way of Water Review, yesterday. Because by the time you're listening to this, this is dropping on New Year's Eve, Saturday. And next week, to kick off the new year, we're doing our Best of 2022 show, including our Q&A segment that got some tremendous submissions from listeners. That we really had to take some time to think about how we were going to answer. None of our answers were really off the cuff because with the exception of a handful of questions, three for that matter, from our significant others, everything was prepped ahead of time. So we knew how to formulate our answers best, but still give honest and thorough responses. So I think everyone's going to really enjoy that. And in addition, we talk about what's coming up in 2023 on the site. I did make the schedule, which has really been my baby to take care of since we started our own site. Garrett did that for years when we were at Binge, and I was just the person that said, yep, looks good. Or, hey, let's not do that for the few instances that Garrett listened to me until I built trust and friendship with him. But I couldn't be excited for what's to come. And I couldn't be happier with how the first... Uh, basically the first year has gone here on the new site. So thanks to everyone for listening. And I hope that 2023 is bigger and better in every capacity. I think that last statement applies to how I feel about the Jets. I'm recording this before the next game against Seattle. We have two weeks to go until playoffs. But before I get into all the scenarios and the upcoming game, I got to do the usual spiel and recap slash dissect like a dead frog the previous game of Jets Jaguars that took place Thursday night on a very rainy day at MetLife Stadium. I was not able to make it because I, quite frankly, don't have the enthusiasm to sit in the pouring rain in a circumstance like that to where. I don't know what it is about the Jets in primetime. This was their one primetime game of the season, and it seems like every time that the lights are bright and they're the only game in town, bad things tend to happen. I often think of the butt fumble, the IMC and Ghost ghosts game. Those were all primetime. Not to divulge the laundry list, because I could write a history book and make this basically a sermon. With all the bad jet primetime experiences. And to be honest, Thursday was no different. It was a game that I sat there and watched. But I would be lying to you if I said I did it in a state of pure cognitive function. I was drinking. Quite frankly, it progressed more and more as the game went on. So I don't really have the deepest of analytical conversations to have about what happened. But I can give you the most earnest takeaway from the game. That is, I think the final chapter has been written in Zach Wilson's book as a New York Jet. The writing has been on the wall for quite some time, basically ever since the first New England game, that there was always the question of, Can the Jets win because of Zach Wilson, as opposed to him doing just enough to not screw it up for everyone else? And I think the question has been answered in the way of the former, based on how his last few starts have gone. And here's the the thing. He got booed incessantly. But I can't sit here and tell fellow Jet fans that they were wrong for doing so. It was a putrid display of offensive firepower. And when I say firepower, it was akin to a pop gun that you get as a six-year-old that has the cork in it that just falls off the side of the gun. It's attached to a string. That's kind of what watching Thursday night's offensive tour de force was like. And quite frankly, I don't want to hear any more excuses for Zach Wilson. I understand the offensive line is makeshift as it's been for basically since Elijah Vera Tucker went down in the Denver game. You could go back to preseason with Makai Becton going out for the year. It's been juggled and refurbished numerous times. Injuries, people changing position, changing quarterbacks. It's been a revolving door been a turnstile. But it was also pouring rain. I know that prohibits, you know, these 500-yard passing attacks. But look, Mike White played a game in Chicago with similar conditions. I should say, Chicago came to the Meadowlands and got their doors blown off. Mike White ran the, the offense pretty damn well, and that includes throwing the ball So I don't think the elements are that big of a condition to explain why Zach Wilson played as bad as he did. It was also made worse when his backup came in, Chris Trevler, who comes from, I think, the USFL. He's been a backup. He hasn't played a down in the NFL professionally. And he came in and his drive had more yardage than all the other Zach Wilson drives combined. And he's glorified running back. He's Tim Tebow with no throwing ability, whereas Tim Tebow had a very, very limited arm. So I think that's the indictment. When your backup comes in, and this is not a one-time thing. Ever since Zach Wilson has been drafted, every other quarterback, Mike White, Joe Flacco Chris Traveler Josh Johnson they've all come in and run this offense you could say they're not they didn't win all those games with the backups but the offense looks a lot more fluid and consistent Zach Wilson has relied too much on those big splash plays to compensate for less than dynamic rhythm and I found some numbers that Paint a bigger picture. Can you blame some of this on coaching? Yes. Can you blame some of this on the lack of a run game? Yes. Can you blame this on a makeshift offensive line? Yes. But if you're that guy, that quote unquote franchise quarterback, you have to overcome adversity. You can't use it as an excuse. And Zach Wilson's played 22 games. I think that is a large enough sample size to give him a fair judgment or assessment as the starting quarterback. In those 22 games, they have averaged 17 points per game. Their passing yardage per game is 182 yards. That is minutiae compared to the average in the NFL. Without without Zach Wilson for 10 games, so about half of the sample size of Zach Wilson's starting pedigree, they averaged 21 points per game. So not a huge leap, but, you know, a field goal plus more, which games are decided by a point. So take that for what it's worth. But here's where it gets interesting. Net passing yards, 315 versus 182. It's a big leap. And the receiving core has been pretty much the same. Unless last year, if you want to take away Garrett Wilson because he's a rookie this year, fine, I'll grant you that. There is a very clear difference in how the offense looks, its fluidity. And I'm not the only person to point that out. It was mentioned to Sala as one of his postgame questions that a reporter openly asked him, why is it that every other quarterback can run this offense, but it looks so difficult under Zach? He didn't answer the question because the proof is in the pudding. It's on the, it's on the field. I don't know what it is. Because I know Zach Wilson has a good arm. I know he can move. But there's a mental roadblock that he's been unable to get past. Can't make the simple throws. Again, he's overthrowing guys. He's under-throwing guys. There's points where he doesn't even look like he's on the same page with his receivers, and they get express their frustration. There's the leadership questions, the immaturity concerns. Nothing in the NFL is ever going to be perfect as a quarterback. So with that said, you have to make chicken salad out of chicken shit. And for the most part, Zach has not been able to do that. So that's the the big thing. I think Zach Wilson's time as a Jet is over. Can you trade him? I don't believe so. I think his value is next to nothing at this juncture. So That begs the question, where do they go from here? Well, there's Mike White for the next two games. He's been cleared to start at Seattle in a game that the Jets have to win, no ifs, ands, or buts, to keep their slim playoff hopes alive. Here's how it looks. They beat Seattle and they beat Miami the last two games of the season and Miami might not even have Tua as a very realistic possibility. So let's say they win those two games. They finish the season 9 and 8. First winning record since 2015, which would make me very happy. I'm tired of losing seasons. I'm tired of double digit loss seasons. They finish 9 and 8, but they would need New England to lose to either Miami or Buffalo. And win those two games as the Jets to get into the playoffs. Those are the Qualifiers. If they lose to Seattle, that's it. There's no mathematical way they can make it. Doesn't matter what New England does. So I think it would be really cool if the Jets go into Seattle and win the game for a win in your in style game versus Miami because they're not guaranteed a playoff spot either. So I'm very curious to see how the Jets play with everything to play for because Thursday night against Jacksonville, they looked like zombies. And I really have to call into question the preparation for this game. I got the sense, and this is purely conjecture on my part, that they undervalued the Jaguars, who were coming off a big game against the Cowboys, a big overtime win. Maybe they thought the Jaguars were going to come in with little to no energy. There were Jet players showing up in costumes. It seemed to me that they were overlooking the Jaguars, which you cannot do when you are still fighting for your playoff life and coming off two bad home losses with Detroit and, well, it was at Buffalo, but two two very winnable games. Three, if you want to count the Minnesota game. They, they were in every one. But the Jacksonville game was the first one that it was almost non-competitive. And I hate saying this, but I knew on the opening drive that the Jets were not going to win this game. Here's how. Jaguars get the ball. And who is likely going to be the best defensive player in the Jet locker room, Quinnen Williams, who missed the last game. Strip sacks Trevor Lawrence. Jets get the ball at the Jacksonville like 22, 23-yard line. They go three and out, lose yardage, and kick a field goal. The defense gave them perfect field position to go up 7-0 and set the tone. But what happens? They run Zach on an option. first down gets a yard. Second down gets nothing. Third down takes a sack because he didn't see the safety blitz coming because he can't he still can't read basic defensive coverages, which is a huge problem. Part of why he gets hit so much is because he doesn't know how to read the line of scrimmage and make the audibles to fix his protections. So it's three nothing. And those are the only points that basically the Jets scored the entire game. And I don't give the offense credit for that. The defense and the special teams gave them those points. So do you want to say the defense is overrated? Because that's a topic of conversation. Can you really overrate a defense that gives up 18 points a game and only gave up 19 to Jacksonville after they hung 40 on the Cowboys? I don't think that makes him overrated. But the reality is the defense has no margin for error because the offense with Zach Wilson is incapable of scoring touchdowns. Mike White's got his problems too. But let's be honest, if Braxton Berrios catches that ball in the Minnesota game, this season might be totally different. The only part of the defense I get on is there's there's been a few instances where they'll have some offensive momentum and the defense gives up a long drive. They gave up a 90-something-yard touchdown drive to the Jaguars where they just could not get off the field. And I think the defense as a whole only has two what I would call elite top-of-their-position players, Quinton Williams and Sauce Gardner. They're all playing all pro in the NFL, in my opinion. Quinn Williams has 12 sacks as an interior defensive lineman. That's hard to do. He's got 24 quarterback hits. Because remember, your defensive tackles are typically the ones that are getting double teamed on the interior. And the book's been written on Sauce Gardner. If he doesn't win Defensive Rookie of the Year, I'll be surprised and it'll confirm that the, the jet bias is real. With those two being the exceptions, everyone else is... I'd say good. There's no one on the defense that I would say is awful, but I think going into next year, they're really going to have to revamp their the middle of their field, uh, their linebacking core, and possibly their safeties. But I think the D-line is set. I think the, the the cornerback tandem that they got is as good as anybody's. So the defense has largely been rebuilt. But The defense shouldn't have to play perfect to win games. It is no longer 1999 where you can win games strictly on defense and running game. At some point, if you want to be a serious contender, you have to have a quarterback and an offense that can consistently put touchdowns on the board. I get playing field position. I get field goals are important, especially help PATs missed PATs are the difference in games sometimes, but it's an offensive league. It is a passing league. Stop the pass defensively and pass the ball offensively. And the bottom line is, Zach Wilson can't do it. Will he ever be able to do it? It's a much larger question, but for now, no chance. So Mike White's going to start against Seattle in a game they absolutely have to win. I am very curious to see how Mike White plays with everything to play for. Could be playing for a contract, whether it's with the Jets or another team. They're playing for their playoff lives. I don't believe they're going to make it. My pessimism has started to win out. I was the Leaning tower of Pisa for a while, but now I've started to fall firmly into the they're going to blow it. And I get it. Maybe they were a bit. Their win rate accelerated at something that they couldn't really keep up with. To go from six and three to seven and eight. Bad breaks. Yeah. Bad call, sure. Piss-poor quarterback play it is largely why they are where they are. Think about those two New England games. They win one of those. Think about the Minnesota game, like I said. you know they, They've had chances to win the Detroit game. and that game, the offense got them the points that the defense gave up the touchdown to lose. So everyone has a part to play in why they're where where they are now. But I do put the Lions share on the offense and specifically the quarterback. If they had average mid tier quarterback play, this team would be in the playoffs. So I get it. If you're frustrated as a Jet fan, yeah, they let, Jet fans let out their frustration on Zach Wilson. But this gets into my what pissed me off. It was not the on-field display because I was pretty inebriated. I'm not gonna lie to you. All I got fucked up by halftime. But here's where I got upset. Monday night, I turn on the ESPN Monday Night Football preview show where they have all the the recaps and they talk about the upcoming game. But they'll they'll talk about other situations in the NFL. And I listened to, not going to mention names, but there were a couple people that said that the the Jets have done nothing to help out Zach Wilson. Specifically, the Jets have done nothing to help him out. And I almost had an aneurysm, because that is a bold-faced lie. Has he been hindered by injuries to some of those helping pieces? Yes, but that's the NFL. So let me give everyone some history. If you will allow me to, let's compare Zach Wilson, his two years, to the previous first-round draft pick, Sam Darnold. We look at Sam Darnold. Not only did he have a joke of a head coach named Adam Gase, who has the offensive brain power of an autistic kid playing Scrabble. His number one receivers were Jamison Crowder, Robbie Anderson. A 37-year-old Frank Gore. Non-existent tight ends. Anybody remember Chris Herndon? They tried to give him Le'Veon Bell, but Adam Gase didn't want to use Le'Veon Bell. And we all know how that situation ended, where they basically released him because they couldn't even trade him for a goddamn seventh-round pick. Sam Darnold also had a decent defense, but nothing spectacular. And yes, Darnold failed partially because of himself and his his bad play. But I'm not going to put it all on Sam Darnold. He had no opportunity to succeed. Now let's look at Zach Wilson. In 2020, the year before he was drafted, so this ties into Sam Darnold, they spent a first-round pick on Makai Beckton, the tackle. His rookie season looked pretty damn good but he's had injury and weight issues the past two years. So he's basically been a non-factor. So it sucks for Sam. It sucks for Zach, but I'm not going to fault GM for making that pick. It was a, it was a relatively high risk pick given his issues at Louisville, but high reward injuries are just, it's one of the, it's an unforeseen circumstance. A lot of times outside of that, in 2020, the draft has been uh, one to forget. But Zach Wilson, they take him number two overall. They trade up to get Elijah Vera Tucker, the guard. He's played four positions on the offensive line and is easily their best offensive lineman until he went down for the year earlier this year. They has a second-round pick on Elijah Moore, the wide receiver. Pretty damn good when Zach gets the ball to him and when Mike White gets the ball to him. They spent big on C.J. Uzama and Tyler Conklin at tight end. They got him Corey Davis. They spent a number 10 overall pick on Garrett Wilson. They traded up to get Brees Hall the running back. Garrett Wilson, by the way, might be the offensive rookie of the year. He's only four yards away from 1,000 yards. He's broken Keyshawn Johnson's record. He's broken Wayne Corbett's reception record as a rookie. Were pretty big names amongst Jets wide receivers in history. They got Michael Carter the a running back, so they got him two running backs, two high-end wide receivers in the draft. They signed a Pro Bowl guard in Lakin Tomlinson, who's been okay. He hasn't really been as advertised. They've done everything possible, including revamping the defense. It's not like Zach Wilson has to play games where he's putting up, he has to put up 30-plus points a game in order to win. He's got a very good defense, not the best in the NFL, but he's got a damn good defense that keeps them in every game. But like I said, 17 points in the NFL and an offensive league is not going to cut it. So they've done everything possible in the prototypical way to build around your young quarterback. And it's bullshit when people say that the GM and the coach have done nothing to help him. It's on him. Is he on the team next year? I highly doubt it. But we'll see. But I think it's a a lazy argument to say, oh, the Jets did nothing. Same old Jets. And it goes to show me that some of these analysts don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Don't cover the fucking team like they're supposed to. And just think, oh, the lazy take of, oh, we'll blame the Jets. that argument has the weight of a paper bag blowing in the wind like that scene in American Beauty. And sometimes that's what Zach Wilson's passes look like too, where they just fucking float over guys' heads. So his career as a Jet has gone down about as quickly as the Titanic, to be perfectly honest. And who knows what's going to happen. So I do want to talk about a big development that's come out. It's no state secret that the Jets are going to have a new quarterback next year. I think it's a certainty. Mike White will probably be on the roster. I think he'll be the number two option with a chance to start. But that is sort of predicated on how these last two games go. If he craps the bed, I think they let him go and just completely retune this quarterback room. Joe Flacco's done. He's going to retire next year. Uh, quite frankly, you know, they may have to cover him in uh, Purell so he can slide out of there because it's not like he can move. He's like the fucking Tin Man. He should get the oil can, you know, fix up his joints so he can go on to greener pastures because, like I said, it's just painful to watch him play football at this point. So, what do the Jets do? A lot of names are thrown out there. Point number one, though, I want to make. I do not believe the Jets are drafting a quarterback. We've been down this road. Mark Sanchez, Geno Smith, Sam Darnold, Zach Wilson, Chad Pennington. Those are the ones in my lifetime. The big ones. None of them have panned out for numerous reasons. Each one's had some moments, but none of them have been the guy for different reasons. I'm not going to bore you all. So I don't believe the Jets are going to spend a first-round pick on a quarterback, maybe even a second-round pick. So that leaves you with acquiring a quarterback through trade or free agency. So I'm going to go through the the three tiers and talk about the pros and cons of each. The tier one, guys, these are the the high-profile names. There's really two, three, actually. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Lamar Jackson. As a Jet fan, I want nothing to do with Tom Brady. Regardless of how he looks, because he has looked awful this year, I think he's done. He's washed. But I can't in good conscience watch a guy who tormented my team for 20 years suit up for my team when he's not the player he used to be. So, hard pass on Tom Brady. I swipe, I swipe left. Let's go to Aaron Rodgers. A little bit younger than Tom Brady. But I start to question, and I've been doing this with Rodgers all year. How much more does he really have left? I think at best, if the, let's say the Jets got him, it'd probably be for two years at most. And to be honest, if Green Bay is going to trade him, they're going to be looking for some pretty substantial draft capital. I could see them asking for like two first-round picks in a second, or a first and two seconds, and a player it would be some kind of premium draft package. I don't think it'd be the Russell Wilson deal where it's players, multiple first-round picks because of Rogers' age and his contract. But I think Rodgers will depend on two things. Number one, is Joe Douglas the GM willing to pay that price? We've seen him get those kind of trades like Jamal Adams. And to a lesser extent, Sam Darnold. But we've never seen him throw the checkbook at someone like that to go get a win-now type of player. Second question is, let's say Green Bay makes the playoffs this year. They sneak in. Does Aaron Rodgers want to leave? I honestly wouldn't think so. There's a certain part of me that thinks he wants to retire as a Packer. Do what Brett... I don't think he wants to do what Brett Favre did, which is go play, number one, go play for the Jets uh, like Brett Favre did. And number two, like, you know, finish somewhere else. Maybe I'm wrong. So on on a scale of one to ten, as far as Aaron Rodgers being the Jets quarterback next year, I'd say like a four on the likelihood scale. And the third one's Lamar Jackson. Now, this one only came up just because Lamar is still in contract hell with the Ravens. They haven't signed him to a deal. And there's been some frustration. He's also been hurt this year and hasn't really played as much as you know he would. And I think in his mind, watching some of these quarterbacks go down, he's like, I'm not stepping foot on that field without guaranteed money. So, of course, people are saying, oh, the Jets should trade for Lamar if the Ravens don't want him. Would I want Lamar Jackson? Oh, hell yes, I would. I think of these three... And I mentioned he's the one I would want the most. He's he's young. He's in the prime of his athletic career. And I think he would be that. He would be the answer for this kind of offense. Where short passes, the running game. Obviously, Lamar is maybe the most athletic quarterback in the NFL from a running perspective. But there's the question. You're going to have to pay a lot, both in draft capital and in salary cap, to acquire Lamar Jackson. And I don't think Joe Douglas would do it. If Lamar expressed an openness to coming here, I would absolutely, if I was Joe Douglas, I would pay both of those for Lamar Jackson. I think he is a special talent. And I truly believe he is the kind of quarterback that could get the Jets to a Super Bowl. With this defense, and the pieces are here on offense. Once the O-line gets healthy, maybe you bring in another wide receiver and free agency and a draft. There's a lot here that would entice Lamar Jackson. And I would absolutely pay for him if he wanted to come here. So now let's go to the tier two guys. These are sort of the like the mid tier quarterbacks. Like, you know, they're in the the 10 to 15 range as far as like ranking quarterbacks. You know, they're not your superstars, but if the Jets really believe they're a win-now type of team, these are the two guys that I think they should look at. Number one is Jimmy Garoppolo. He knows Robert Sala from San Francisco. Same exact offense. Would not cost anywhere near as much as the three guys I mentioned earlier. But they would probably have to acquire him for some a, a trade, unless the Niners just cut Garoppolo, which I doubt. So would I give up a second or third-round pick for Garoppolo? Yes, I would. But the question with Jimmy is his health. Do I want to pay that and offer him a contract if I'm only going to get 10, 11 games out of him in a 17-game season? So between him and the next guy I'm going to mention, I would go with the second option, which is Derek Carr. And here's where I just don't understand Jet fans. The ones that poo-poo and want absolutely nothing to do with Derek Carr. Here's why this frustrates me. We've seen the worst of the worst with quarterbacks. We've seen the bottom of the barrel. And we're going to turn our nose up at Derek Carr because he's not Patrick Mahomes. To me, that's stupid. Is Derek Carr a top five quarterback in the NFL? No. Absolutely not. But he's gotten his team to the playoffs multiple times. Wake me up, the last Jets quarterback who did that, Mark Sanchez. Not that he was the reason who did it, mind you, but look at his average. You know, he averages 4,000 yards and 25 touchdowns if you take out his rookie year. He's been reliable. He's been durable. He's been a leader. He's been a steady voice for the Raiders amidst six different head coaches in nine years. This year's been bad. Yeah, he's been benched. But look at his head coaches. Josh McDaniel sucks. The bloom is off the rose, and it withered and died. The only reason they haven't fired him is because the Raiders can't afford to fire him because they gave him so much guaranteed money. So between Jimmy Garoppolo and Derek Carr, I would want Derek Carr. And I don't think it would cost that much to acquire him from a trade perspective. They would just have to give him a good contract. So Lamar Jackson and Derek Carr are my top two. But I'll throw out the Tier 3 guys, who are low-tier starters for like a year, and then the year after you draft a quarterback, depending on how it goes. So these are guys like Marcus Mariota, Geno Smith, Taylor Heineke, Orion Tannehill. It would depend on if, let's say, Lamar, Derek Carr, you don't get. I would strongly consider one of those for one year. just Or a Gardner Minshew. Watch what happens. If the Jets truly believe they're a win-now team and they're a quote-unquote quarterback away, then by that logic, it shouldn't matter who they get. Anyone over Zach Wilson's substantial upgrade. So I do believe there will be a new Jets quarterback on their center next year. But who that is remains to be seen. So looking at this game in Seattle with everything to play for, you know, a lot of interesting dynamics. Geno Smith, former Jets quarterback. Pat P. Carroll, former Jets head coach. DJ Reed, our corner, comes from Seattle. We got Sauce Gardner versus Tariq Woolen. You know, the two top corners in the offensive uh, defensive rookie of the year conversation. It's in Seattle. The only thing that upsets me is that Jamal Adams isn't playing because he's been out for the whole year. Uh nothing would please me more than to watch Mike White carve his ass up like a Thanksgiving turkey. So absolutely. But I I don't I don't know how the I I don't know if the Jets are going to win because they haven't shown me anything in December. And the final injury report Mims is going to play, Corey Davis is going to play, so they'll have all the horses they need to get it done. So I don't want to hear any excuses if they lose. They have to find a way to win this game. No ifs, ands, or buts. they got to find a way to win this game and go into Miami with a chance to make the playoffs. So, yeah. I'm sort of in a... I'm in a weird place where, yes, I am looking ahead to next year. But that's because, like, Zach Wilson has been so... The bridge has been burned down completely. I don't think there's any way it can be rebuilt. So we shall see. But um, that's kind of all I had, to be perfectly honest. Um, I'm going to wish you all a happy new year. And uh, be sure to start out with the site because we're kicking it off with a a notoriously bad movie to kickstart the year and we are doing a new release of megan because i am so excited to go see that movie based on that trailer the pg-13 rating gives me pause but i convinced garrett and adam to say look this is the kind of movie i love to go see and if it's great it'll be a welcome surprise if it's crap these are the kind of bad surprises that i enjoy so we'll have a review of megan We'll have our first retro of the year. We'll have our year-end review show. A lot of great things happening here on the site. So, Happy New Year to everybody, and thank you all very much for listening.